Hey everyone, welcome to episode number two of season two of Musicians for Mental Health. On this podcast, we speak with musicians about mental health openly and honestly without the veil of lyrics. We are not mental health professionals. We are not licensed therapists or counselors. We are people that have our own personal experiences with mental health and want to shed light on these things. In this episode, I speak with Becky Fontaine, who is a singer, um, songwriter. She's currently doing backing vocals for Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses. Um, And she's just a really incredible human being. Um, We get into the story of how we met, kind of what spurred the conversation that we have in this episode. Um, And then we talk about a lot of things, you know, things that maybe I don't normally have an authority on. Um, You know, in this conversation with Becky, we talk about grief, uh, the loss of her dad, the loss of, you know, my brother, my, my dad, um, and going through that grieving process. We also talk about domestic abuse, uh, spousal abuse, and, you know, that's not something I personally have ever been involved in or had, you know, firsthand experience with, but, um, you know, I definitely want to thank Becky for being open and honest about that stuff, and, you know, there's a lot that we touch on in this conversation and I think it's all very important and it's it's heavy you know that as many of these conversations are they're very real and they're very heavy but they're important and you know I can't thank Becky enough for taking the time to have this conversation with me um, and providing her perspective her insight her stories her experience to the conversations that we have because while I maybe don't relate with all of it because I wasn't involved in any of it or I've never been involved in situations like it, there's a absolutely ridiculous amount of people that will relate to her story and I think it's very important for people to hear it. So, Uh, Again, a huge shout out to Becky. I don't want to take up any more of the intro time for this. Um, So let's get into this conversation that I had with Becky Fontaine and her experiences with mental health. Cool. Um, Also, right here beside me at my desk, I still have my pink rose. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So... Um, Yeah, so to kick things off, I start off with the same boring-ass question. Uh, Who are you, and why are we having this conversation? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it is a little boring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My name is Becky Fontaine. I am a backing vocalist for Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses. Um, Which is actually how I found out about you, so... Obviously, most people that listen to the podcast probably don't know the story. Um, Basically, I went to 
the Nathan Gray show to photograph and, and do all that. And, um, excuse me. Um, I was wearing my heart support gear that night and you approached me. Um, it was my, it gets better, uh, hoodie. And, you know, we talked briefly and I think the, the thing that struck me the most about our conversation that night was that it was something as simple as a hoodie that, you know what I mean? Like people assume it has to be this grand event to make people want to open up or whatever. And it was just simply a hoodie that you knew, okay, that person gets it. Let's yeah. go talk, you know? And I think <laughs> that's so powerful. Yeah. It was crazy. Cause I, I remember, um, seeing you and seeing that hoodie and it felt like, like I, I had a little extra breath of relief, like, okay, at least someone in this room gets me whether or not, like I'm shouting my story from the rooftops. Like it just made me feel seen, even though you didn't know who I was and vice versa. So I felt like I had to come over and say, hi, and thank you for wearing that. Because just like you said, that simple little thing just, just made me feel very seen. And I wanted to, to, thank you for that. And hope that you <laughs> keep doing that just every space you go. And I think we, in your conversation, you did say something about that, about how it was important to you to do something like that, to wear things like that, just so people feel welcome to come up. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's exactly what it is. You know, that's hands down the favorite puppy that I've got. Um, and I've, I've got a sock hat that I normally wear because um, I'm in the Midwest and it, Really warm yet um but i've got a sock hat that i wear that uh says vulnerability is cool and it's from mm -hmm. heart supporters can't station or um you know whatever and people are like oh that's a cool hat or that's a cool hoodie or whatever mm -hmm. and like it's it's just enough to spark a yep you know like we can relate to each other type of thing yeah. um and i think you know again it, it's such a minor thing a piece of clothing makes people feel seen and feel safe. And, you know, especially in, in the music industry, um, you know, you can attest to this. It's not always easy to feel comfortable or feel like that you're able to be yourself versus your stage presence. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's easy to fall into like, am I cool enough? Am I what people expect me to be when they see me on stage versus off stage like there is definitely a pressure to be what somebody expects of you because it's very scary to accidentally let them down when they see oh she's just a messy nerd <laughs> sorry <laughs> to disappoint everybody but that's what I am <laughs> but you know I've said this a lot especially you know on the the podcasts and things like that where I think Instagram, as great of a tool as it is, it's also a very dangerous tool because so many people go on there and they only see the good 10 seconds that someone took a snapshot mm -hmm. and they assume, oh, they've got their life together. You know, everything's great. Why can't my life be like that? And it's like, I got news for you. Everybody's fucking messy. Like <laughs> yeah. you saw a, a 10 second staged clip and you have mm -hmm. no idea what they're going through. Yep. That's why I am so maybe even to a fault. Sometimes I'm very honest with my own journey on social media. Like when I am in the darkest times, I have to, I have to share that. Like 
I'm struggling. I mean, I just posted something like that a couple of days ago. I'm in a mm-hmm. spot right now where I am having a hard time getting out of bed and functioning as a human. And I need people to know that because I need it to be something that we can just talk about or people around me can just know where I'm at so they can support or not support as, as I need. But the more that we share the messy parts, the easier it gets for all of us. Like, it's almost like a compulsion. Like I have to, it releases pressure for me to, to talk about that. Like it just, that, that lets a little bit of the steam out. Like, okay, at least I've said where I'm at and and people know, and, and like, that's one less secret that I have to hold on to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it allows, you know, when, when we do show our authentic self and, and this transparent side of us where we're putting out that mess, it also allows us to appreciate the beauty in Mm -hmm. the moments that aren't as messy. You know, it's easier Mm -hmm. for us. I think, um, you know, I'm a very empathetic person, um, to a fault, definitely where like, (laughs) I, I pick up on vibes. I can feel how people are, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let it pull me down sometimes because I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get them through it. But I think through doing those types of things and, and sharing the mess and, and the, the real side of our, our lives. I was literally just had a conversation, um, about 10 minutes ago, uh, with a girl. <laughs> and we talked about like being in the Midwest, taking a, a minute to stop and just appreciate the sunset, you know, like you get those pink cotton candy clouds, mm-hmm. you know, the, the just really beautiful moments. And so often we just overlook it because, well, I had a bad day. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Okay, but take a breath, go, you know, I know one of your posts recently was about getting back to nature and kind of grounding yourself through that. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, I guess, that part of your process with, um, obviously, we're going to get into more of maybe some of the key things that you struggle with, anxiety, depression, or things Mm -hmm. like that. But um, talk about how something as simple as getting out into nature recenters yourself. Yeah. Um, I will not pretend that I growing up was the kid who was outside, like doing things. I always had my notes in a book, like always, always, always. And I never really was somebody who gravitated towards the outdoors until a few years ago when I was going through a particularly bad time. And I felt like everything in me was going to explode if I couldn't just be somewhere different. Like I couldn't look at the same walls and I didn't have money to just get in the car and, you know, drive somewhere, you know what I mean? Like go somewhere to quote unquote, get away. And there was a park near me. Um, and a friend would said, you know, suggested like there's just across the street, just try and, and do it. And I did. And after that, it became like the thing that was my church, so to speak. Like I could go outside outdoors and it was the one place where nobody expected anything of me or needed anything of me. I couldn't, you know, break my boundaries and jump up to help other people because there was nobody there. And I could just listen to the sounds and move my body and, and just be in a place that asked nothing back from me. And that was so important when I first started. And I think now it's even more 
even more important. And something that I often forget is is there as a tool. And I'll have to either remind myself or my therapist will remind me, like, remember that thing that you love to do? And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. So, you know, the second I get out there, I just, everything just kind of falls away. And sometimes it's even an extra bonus if I go somewhere where I don't have great cell service because it's like one more thing that releases those those puppet strings, you know, and and it's just, it's a real good feeling. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I think that's a, I was kind of the same. So I'm, I'm 37 years old. Um, I wasn't an avid reader, but video games were my thing. Like I'd get yeah. home from school and I was typical video game nerd, comic books, things like that. But same thing, like I got to a point in my life, like I always enjoyed fishing with my dad or, you know, we'd go hunting and things like that. But I got to a point in my life when I was in college that kind of the same thing, like, one day I was just like, I have to get away, mm-hmm. but I can't really go anywhere. And I, mm-hmm. I went to a park and just started walking. And I'm like, yeah, like, okay, I think I'm back now. Yes, you are. <laughs> awesome. So, um, no, I said, you know, basically I was the same as far as like always in the house, video games, comic books, mm-hmm. would go fishing with my dad, um, go hunting. But there was a point in college where um, it was the same thing as, as what you said, just shit got heavy. And I was like, I need to get away, but I couldn't go anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. substantially. And I went to a park and started walking around and I was able to just like slow down and take a breath and, and take things as they came versus letting them stack up and try to tackle mm-hmm. it all at once. Um, and it was this kind of light switch moment for me that I was like, you know what, like if I, it goes into the boundaries thing that I think we're going to talk about some is I was able to take that boundary and go for the next 20 minutes, nobody's allowed to touch me, whether yeah. it's cell phone, whether, you know, whatever, nobody can touch me for the next 20 minutes because I'm getting out of this and, yeah. you know, reconnecting through nature and, and things like that. And it, it could be any number of things, obviously it's going to work different for everybody, but I think it is important to, to recognize those opportunities and then figure out a way to utilize them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of your story. You know, um, you guys, you guys being Nathan and you have, especially on social media lately, done the band introductions and told bits and pieces of stories and things like that. For you, you know, growing up and and coming through life, um, you know, we're pretty close to the same age. So what was kind of that moment where you recognized that mental health is a serious thing and maybe I need to address something that's going on with me? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> well, it's been a very long time. Like you're a little younger than me. I'm 43. So I, my father actually died in a plane crash when I was 13. Um, so that was like the first, you know, real traumatic milestone in my life. And after that, you know, my, my, my brother and my mom and I, we did like group therapy, um, for a little while. And, um, I ended up working for the place that we went to the group therapy, you know, I was only 
15 or 16 when I started. Um, so I was a facilitator for some younger children going through similar things. And I got real good at grief. I won grief, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, here's the thing that I can be good at. Um, I think I was, I, I don't think, I know I was even in the, the newspaper, like they featured me and called me like a child prodigy and bereavement when I was like, yes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm performing great, you know? Right. <laughs> so by the time I turned 18 and had spent, you know, I think my first year in college, that's like when the first dam broke, I remember my mom coming to me and saying like, what's going on? Like you haven't gotten out of bed in weeks and you haven't showered. And I just remember, you know, just becoming hysterical and, and her taking me somewhere. And I think that was the first time that I had really been like, okay, there's, there's, you know, there's some stuff going on there. So, you know, from the age of 18 to now, there's just been several, you know, more milestones that have impacted that. I think, you know, genetically, I probably have a, a propensity, if that's the right word, for certain types of um, behavioral or mental health challenges. Um, but certainly the, the traumatic things that I have gone through, losing my father, being in a very abusive marriage for 12 years, you know, the assault and um, sexual assault that came along with that abusive marriage, you know, all of those things created kind of a perfect storm for things to just keep festering like the roller coaster up and down um so you know it's been most of my life at this point yeah yeah and I I'm pretty similar like I remember struggling with thoughts prior to my dad passing my dad Mm -hmm. passed when I was 19 um Mm -hmm. of a heart attack and I went through, so the event for that was I was in college. I'd come home to do laundry, you know, stereotypical, like movie theater (laughs) type thing here. Yeah. Came home to do laundry, you know, for, for college and, um, a family friend needed help bailing hay. And I'm like, guys, I haven't been home in a month. Like I'm not going to go bail hay. Like I came to, to be with family and, and whatever. And my dad and I got in an argument. I said, screw it. I finished my laundry and I went back to college. I was like, I'm just not going to deal with this. And he went out and bailed hay the next day and ended up knocking loose what's called the widow maker. And it's a blood clot that moves through the left side of the heart. And it's virtually undetectable. It's got like a 12% survival rate if you're not in the hospital when it happens. So like, you know, freak thing. But I went through the blame of myself because if I was there, he wouldn't have worked so hard and this wouldn't have happened. And, you know, that's, I think where I had had some thoughts before, you know, with exclusion from school kids and, and whatnot, I wasn't the cool kid. Um, but that was the turning point where it was like, Oh no, there's something here. You know, yeah. I, I really need to address this. Yeah. I mean, I remember after, after my dad died, you know, like I said, I was, 13. And I, I, that was my first experience with death. Like I hadn't lost any grandparents or anything, you know, anybody close to me at that time. And, you know, our stories are different, but they're similar in the fact that they're very sudden, like they're there one day and then they're not. Um, And I mean, I remember being very young and just, and it's still a thought, I'll, I'll admit it's still a thought I have at night, like laying in bed at night and just being like, I don't believe in God, but 
I please, I just don't want to wake up tomorrow. Can I just go in my sleep? Like, <laughs> and I can see you smiling and nodding because like that is, yeah, yep. it's a, it's a very <laughs> common thing. And, you yeah. know, and, and I'm the same way. Like the traditional religion is not my, my belief system. You know, I'm much more of a spiritual person. Um, I think that it's much more on a, not to sound cheesy, but it's much more on a cosmic level, like an energy level. I think, I think there's absolutely connections we make with people that are quote unquote, supernatural, you know, type of connections. Um, but yeah, I I've done the exact same thing where I'll be laying in bed and I'm just like, why, you know, why him? Why, mm -hmm. why at that time? Why not me? Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and same thing, like, I don't, I don't believe in you, but just yeah. make me not wake up tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. You know? and yeah. It's, it's almost a, it, I mean, it's dark. Um, there's no way around that, but it's <laughs> like, if you're real, then do this thing. For Prove you. it. Yeah. Right. Prove it. Yeah. I've, yep. I've had that same conversation like, multiple times. Like, <laughs> all right, big guy, you want, <laughs> you're real. Show me, like, yeah. put me out of my misery. I am so miserable and I am in so much pain and I want it to end. Just make it easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Just no, make it easy for me. And that's the thing that, you know, I think anyone that hasn't dealt with mental health in a firsthand experience type of situation, I don't think they understand that. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think, I think they look at it from the Hollywood aspect a lot of times and, oh, you'll get over it. You know, like, it's not that bad, whatever you're, you're playing it up or whatever. And it's like, no, like, when I go into a dark place, it is a fucking dark place. Yeah. Yeah. Very scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as your, your story progresses, like you said, the abusive relationship and, and all the things that came with that, with whatever you're comfortable talking about, mm -hmm. give people some insight into being on the inside of one of those relationships and trying to figure out what this means for me, what this means for us. Like, what does that do to you in a mental state? Yeah, I can, I can try my best to articulate it. I mean, I've been working with a domestic violence shelter where I live now for two years for therapy. And I would, I, I think one of the hardest things for me personally to come to terms with is was my experience real and is it as bad as I think it is and I will get into these phases where I will have to to my therapist or somebody safe that's given me permission you know talk about particular things that have happened like very specific instances or or methods of abuse just to see their reaction to it. So I can be like, okay, yes, they look horrified. That means that what happened to me is actually bad. Like it's this weird, I can't. And it's because I had been told that I was, you know, too emotional or everybody fights like this, or, you know, those types of things were right. over a decade for me to break, break that habit. I still find myself in that, you know, in that place. Like, holding on to you know I, I only recently got rid of a file of of 
evidence on my my phone, like texts and and photographs of bruises or you know any of those types of things, because I needed them to prove to me that what I went through was real. Right. Um, because it's very hard, you know, we, we have two children together as well. And when I did finally leave, it was because the children were at a point where they were starting to pick things up. Like they were old enough to hear things. And it was like a now or never moment. <laughs> and I left with nothing to my name, nobody nearby to support me, no money, no, you know, nothing. And it was just like, fuck it. I'll figure it out later. Like if I don't go now it's never going to happen. So being inside that place is very surreal and it takes a long time to undo that because it's a very, especially the mental aspect of the the abuse. It's a very um, fucked up and particular type of abuse that has you questioning everything about yourself, about your experiences, about your reality, about your worth, about your body. Um, You know, I have a hard time taking back ownership of my body because it was not mine in my marriage. You know, there's so many things that go into that. Um, I think people, again, kind of back to the TV thing, like people think, you know, they see something on TV, like a woman or a man or, you know, gets backhanded and and that's abuse. Well, that's not, that's not the only piece of abuse. Um, So I think there's just so many things that go into it. I just, I don't know. Yeah, no. And, and thank you for saying all that, because I think the important part is really, I mean, all of it, obviously, but the the tail end of that, like abuse looks different in Mm -hmm. every situation, you Mm -hmm. know, like obviously yes, getting smacked across the face is abuse, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's so much mental stuff that goes on Mm -hmm. too. And especially in a marriage or a relationship where, like you said, you lose some of your, your body autonomy, you lose some Mm -hmm. of of the, this is my boundary. And, you know, there's obviously things to be said about the other half of that story, you know, um, not justifying any of it by any means, but like everybody sees it different depending on their perspective. So, you know, in his mind at that time, maybe it wasn't quote unquote, a big deal or whatever. Um, and you know, it's one of those things too, that I think, obviously congrats to you for, for recognizing it and getting out and breaking the cycle, because the longer that it goes on, the harder it is to break. And then you're putting kids through that. And now that's kind of, well, that's a normal relationship to them. So as they move into that realm, that's what they continue on. And, you know, I think, again, that's the part that gets overlooked a lot of times is, well, what in their past caused them to be the way that they are? And, you know, it's hard to say, but um, because especially like the age groups that we're in, you didn't talk about mental health. No, it was our parents. Yeah, no no way. (laughs) No way. So, And we're just now getting to a point where it feels like people are at least willing to voice it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't think everybody's ready for the conversations yet. And they're, they're hard conversations. But, you know, in the, the time that we were growing up, you would say it and you're probably going to get disciplined if, you know, depending on your age, like you're going to yeah. get disciplined in some fashion, you're going to be told, 
me as a, as a male, oh, just man up, you know, guys, yeah. you're a guy, don't cry. Don't be a like, sissy. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there's so much of that, that, you know, again, Hollywood, oh, it's completely normal. But if you really stop and think about it, it's another form of mental abuse. Like mm -hmm. just because you're a male, that means you can't have emotion, which means mm -hmm. that you're less of a man. If you do like time out, aren't yeah. I a human? Like, isn't mm -hmm. that really the basis of all this? Yeah. But don't have too many emotions. Right. You've got to find the right balance. Right. Right. <laughs> you can't have too many or not enough or. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, and it, it's crazy. The, the stipulations we put on all that, right? Like mm -hmm. obviously there does come a point where you're making mountains out of everything. Like, sure. Maybe you don't need to you got a flat tire. I just used this one on the other conversation. <laughs> I had. You got a flat tire and people post like, oh, I'm so depressed. I got a flat tire today. Like you're not See, depressed. Girl, you, don't you're know, upset. you don't know what depression is. <laughs> yeah. Here, take mine. Wear right. it for a day, please, please. <laughs> right. And like, that's the thing that I've tried to, to tell people is like, if you imagine a backpack and that's where you carry all your emotion, like if I could give you my backpack for a day, you're not taking three steps. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to deal what I have to deal with. And that's not to put anybody down and say that, you know, there aren't people that have it worse than us, but it's unfair to anyone to assume that it's not as bad as they feel like it is. <sighs> Being a person is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so let's go into a little bit of the, the music side of things. And, you know, I, I don't like to use the veil of lyrics because it's so easy to use a metaphor and be like, oh, well, I wrote a song about it. And it's like, yeah, but the song doesn't specify what you're talking about. So like going into music though, the emotional release that that is capable of giving mm -hmm. you, let's talk a little bit about how that has helped you. Obviously, you know, you're backing vocals with, with Nathan right now, but like mm -hmm. going through some of his songs, it's heavy shit. Mm -hmm. Like the guy yeah. talks about real stuff. Yep. What's it like to get that release out and kind of allow it to cope with the things you've been through? It is, there is nothing like it. I mean, there really isn't like you you had the opportunity to see us like you you know we don't just kind of stand there and sing at right. people like <laughs> it's yeah. a whole wild experience and for me you know I I was the theater nerd growing up like the choir kids you know musicals things like that um when I when I met my ex-husband I was hooking bands at a bar doing like acoustic nights doing backing vocals for other bands um, but all of that stopped when I got married because um, that, that was not allowed. <laughs> so um, it's been, you know, just in the last maybe five years or so, me kind of getting back into it. And it's been really, for me, a, a special thing because it's part of that taking taking my life back process, like something that was so important to me. I, I sang my first solo in third grade. I still know the words. Like music has been my entire life and to be able to take that back um has been incredible for me um 
the process of like being in, in Nathan's band, you know, I, I have recorded backing vocals on all of his solo albums. And um, I used to do a lot of the acoustic shows and now being in the full band experience, it's, it took me a while to get comfortable on stage again. Um, but now it's like, that's the only place that I feel normal, whatever normal is. <laughs> I mean, I forget to be sad. I forget to be anxious. I forget to be aware of how my body looks. Like I, I forget to suck in my stomach or see who's like, you know, watching me or, you know, am I, the way I move even like some of the dance moves that I do, I would never do those out in any other avenue. People would look at me like I'm having a seizure (laughs) up there. It's okay. And it's this really strange experience, like physically that I didn't expect. Um, Like, do you know, are you a roller coaster person? Um, yes. Okay. All right. Well, darn it. I'm going to, I'm going to use it anyway. If you go on a roller coaster (laughs) and, and there is like the act of screaming because you're scared and, and the way that kind of release feels, it's almost like a primal thing. I've discovered that being on stage has that same effect to where, you know, um, we do no way at the end of most of our sets because it's a very powerful song like everybody has something that they're trying to say no way to that song is deeply important to me it's deeply important to Nathan it's deeply important to so many people um that that are in the band or that come to see us because it's it's the opportunity to say you know whatever that thing is in your life that's trying to control you you know fuck you no way you're not winning tonight even if it has to be something a day at a time Um, so the energy that goes into that song is everything. Like you're laying every single thing that you have left on that stage. And so by the end of that set, when I step onto the side of the stage, I'm physically shaking at the release of, of pressure or, um, like just the, the brain chemistry thing that's happening. I cannot describe it's like dizziness and euphoria (laughs) it's like the most insane high I've I've ever felt and it feels very primal but very necessary like there's so many things that you hold in in your day-to-day and when you get to lay that out on the stage in that particular very special and unique um, venue like there's just there's been no bigger healing um, tool for me than that I'll be very, I've done EMDR, I've done talk therapy, I've done it all, art therapy, and that is the thing that has released the pressure the most. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think, you know, regardless of the outlet, I think the the important part of that is, you know, these things that we allow to, to build up and build mm-hmm. pressure within us, like, at some point, we have to, quote unquote, explode and let it out whether that's yeah. weightlifting, riding a bike, whatever, like yeah. go do the thing that you love and just leave it all out there yeah. because mm-hmm. the longer it sits inside you, the worse it's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. and there's all the old like wives tales and cliches that, you know, if you bottle it up, you'll get cancer. You'll, you know, you'll have a heart <laughs> attack and all this sort of stuff. You know, you'll have yeah. a stroke because you, you keep all this anxiety inside but there's got to be some measure of truth to that. You know, like if you're putting your body under and your mind under all this strain from holding everything Mm -hmm. in, of course it's going to manifest. Mm 
And by manifesting it in a release, obviously that's much more healthy. Yeah, because it is the act of holding in sadness and fear and anxiety and, you know, panic. That is the worst workout ever. Because it's just like you're constantly feel like you're about to explode but you can't like if if you could just explode and get it over with and you can move on in your day um and and it is very physical how it just sits and festers so yeah and I, I think anyone listening can relate to you know whether you have a diagnosed mental health complex mm-hmm. or not like anybody can relate to having a really shitty day and just how that lingered and stuck with you Mm -hmm. and then add in a diagnosis like depression or anxiety and think about having that day repeat inside your head every day. Yeah. And it's, it's maddening. Yeah. Yeah. Out of nowhere too. Like you'll have a couple good weeks or, you know, maybe a couple good months and then just slams into you out of nowhere. And you're like, come on, like really? We were, I was doing good. This is unfair. And, and that's the thing. And it can be any little thing that triggers it. Mm -hmm. You know, I know Mm -hmm. we talked very briefly about, I lost my brother to suicide Mm -hmm. coming up on four years ago. And, um, there, I mean, literally he and I loved music and like a blink 182 song will come on and I'm like, fuck, you know, because that was our band and just stuff like (laughs) that, that like, I'm having a really good day, but fuck you, Spotify. You put this song on shuffle. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about this thing. <laughs> and it's like, what just Thanks, happened? Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think, again, we both touched on this. And I, again, you can get into it with as much detail or, or lack thereof that you'd like. You know, we're both suicide attempt survivors. And, mm. you know, I think something that a lot of people don't understand is suicidal ideation, you know, having those Mm -hmm. thoughts, maybe not carrying out the attempt, but like, I know for me, I can be having a pretty normal day. And all of a sudden I'm like, what if I just drove my tree, my car into this tree? Like, yeah. What what is that? That's I don't know. (laughs) I hate it. it. I wish I could turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the dumbest stuff. Like I know driving 60 miles an hour down the road, I shouldn't just rip the wheel to the left, but my brain goes, what would happen? I don't know, but I don't want to find out. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It is wild to, to just have those thoughts just, just show up uninvited or even more scary is like how normal they are when they come. And I feel like that's, a horrible thing to say, but it's the only way that I can <laughs> articulate. Like to me, I'm at a point where those thoughts are, are normal. Are they alarming? Yes. Are they scary? Yes. Do I know that they're, they're not great? Absolutely. But they're normal in the way that they've become a part of my, about of who I am, I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but they're just there. And sometimes they're harder to shut up than others. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's an important factor in uh, as well that, you know, like the vast majority of the time we've got it under control, you know, Mm -hmm. and it does become kind of a normal thing, you know, like you, you just 
have these thoughts. And it does sound really fucked up to say, well, yeah, sometimes <laughs> I just think about what would happen if I killed yeah. myself by wrecking my car or whatever. But I think the the key for me is, like you said, kind of identifying them and going, you know what, like, shut up. And it's yeah. not always easy. Sometimes <laughs> no. that makes it worse, you know, and you're just yeah. like, well, but you, you could probably walk away from it. So like, let's try it. Like, no, yeah. I still don't want to try this thing. Yeah. 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 It's, um, the thoughts are there, like you said, sometimes on a pretty normal day. Right. But it's when they start showing up in the real, the times that are dark, the real dark times, because then they get, they get more they get easier to listen to because you're like you know what like I just want everything that hurts to stop hurting and that would be one I'm just saying that would be a way to make it stop like you know so they get they get uh, they're like the mermaids on the front of the ship you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) singing those those songs to you and you're like you're right that 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 does sound a lot easier than carrying this shit in my in, in my body all the time, like carrying all these heavy things that that's... yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a multiple attempt survivor myself and then losing my brother, you know, I, I, I guess I'm not surprised, but at the time it took me by a little bit of surprise when I lost my brother, it was shocking to me how many family members and, and close family friends talked about how selfish of an act the suicide was and things like that. And I'm like, but you guys have never been there. That's the problem Mm -hmm. is you don't understand what it's like being on this side of it, you know? And so obviously I love my brother. I don't condone what he did, but I fully Mm -hmm. understand it. And, you know, the number of conversations that I had to have where I was explaining, it wasn't that he was taking the easy way out. He was taking the way that made everything else stop hurting. He thought in his mind, and I, I'm positive you can attest to this, when you have those thoughts, and especially if you carry out an attempt, in that moment, it is, I am the problem, and if I'm not here, everything else gets fixed. Absolutely, because that is the lie the mind tells us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have, yeah. I've said that, you know, I... The way I try to word it when I'm telling the story of my brother is not that my brother, you know, died by suicide. I believe because the way the mind works or the way that I like to, to think of it is my brother was killed by his mind. He was living in a body that wanted to live, but his mind didn't. And he was murdered by his mind. And when you put it that way, there are a lot of people that look at it and go, okay, like I get it. He wasn't fully in control. And when you're in those moments, you're not, you know, you're a passenger on a very dangerous ride. I don't think I've ever heard it put like that. It like kind of slapped me right across the face because it's such a much more accurate way to come at that. It's something, like I said, especially to like family members, that's what I I tried to explain to them because it's so easy to blame the person that commits suicide. Um, 
because a they're not here to defend themselves so yeah you know we all have a no problem talking shit about somebody that's not there um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also i think it, it's easy to blame them because you're not the one in the head you know and having been through it myself and and making attempts i fully like i said i fully understand why he did it and are there times even now obviously that i still yell at him at night that he should be the one here absolutely you know and i think too often people are villainized when they admit that they've attempted suicide or have committed suicide they're villainized in their own story and it's it's really unfair because in their mind at that moment they were the hero of their story because they were taking away the pain yeah I don't how do we change that narrative like is it just I wish I knew (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no honestly I I think I think it's conversations like these you know I think the more that people like you and I and so many amazing artists that I've been able to speak with about this um, the more that we tell our stories and are open and vulnerable people can see that side of it a little more easily. And I think, you know, obviously Hollywood has totally fucked everybody's view of what mental health is or what anything really is, you know, so many shows like glamorize mental health and, and the, I think the problem is they, they glamorize it as if it's a cool or trendy thing to, to experience. And it's not. But, well, you know, I watched four seasons of 13 Reasons Why. Okay. And what did that do for you? You know, do you understand depression better and suicide? Because that's what, you know, obviously it's about. Or do you look at it and go, well, I I can relate. So I must be depressed too. Yeah. So. (laughs) It's being mentally unwell is cool. This is the coolest I'll ever get. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I will never be cooler than I am. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing is, you know, like (laughs) I, I, going back to you know, how do we fix that narrative? I think it really is the the general masses being vulnerable with each other, Um, because again, you know, like it's so easy to watch a TV show and be like. Oh, it's just Hollywood. You know what I mean? It's just a movie. People aren't really like that, or it's not really that bad. Well, say that to, from a statistic standpoint, per NAMI, one in five American adults suffers from some form of major mental health issue. So everybody knows five people. You're telling me that you're willing to go up to them and be like, hey, it's not really that bad. You're just, you know, you're overselling it you don't know you don't know what they've been through (laughs) I wish it was I wish it was a thing that you could like let people experience for a day yeah yeah and people who try to invalidate your experiences or I, 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 I will be honest and say, like, I worry about that sometimes when, because, you know, we talked about at the beginning of this, like how open I am on my social media. Um, I'm the same way at work. 
and 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 from a corporate standpoint, I'm the same way. Like I offer my story to my company, and and I find myself worrying. Like, are people like looking at me and thinking I'm trying to get attention, or right. you know, what are how are they receiving this? And I guess you know, in the long run, it doesn't matter because it's it's offering me some relief and there are people who are receiving it the correct way but there is still that fear like people are just kind of oh there she goes again talking about how she was you know kicked around or assaulted yeah. or she's real sad like <laughs> <laughs> no i i totally get that you know i this podcast is coming into its second season and I went back and forth for a very long time on, is this something that if I put it out there, how does it appear? You know, does it get the reception mm -hmm. that I hope for, which, you know, obviously anybody wants to become famous, whatever, like, duh, it's America. Right. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like to me, I, I truly don't care about that. And I don't even necessarily have to hear the story that somebody says, hey, this changed my life. My whole goal is to stop someone from feeling like they're alone and that they have to, you know, carry out a suicide or whatever. Um, and not with the the savior complex of it. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, I don't care if I never find out that, the, that I was the cause, but by me telling my story, kind of like what you're saying, like, a, it gives me some relief and, you know, it also gives me a chance to kind of carry on my brother's memory and, you know, mm -hmm. that little bit of legacy and things. Um, but the, the hope is somebody hears the story and go, okay, like, you know, Becky went through what I went through and, and she made it, I can make it. And this mm -hmm. is what I'm going to do to do that. Um, and like I said, truly do not give a shit if I never hear that that thank you story and obviously as a musician and with Nathan especially those stories come up all the time like people all the time hey man thank you for that that song you know mm -hmm. this changed my life whatever and there is no better feeling than that but I want people to understand that it's it's not some weird savior complex or or god complex that like i'm the reason that you are still here type thing it's i put my <laughs> yeah. story out there and you relate it yeah and thank god because then it makes me feel like i'm normal i think that's a, a really good point though is you know like as much as you're putting the story out there so that other people feel normal that validation coming back is okay, I am normal. I didn't make up in my head that this is a normal thing. Yeah. 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 Um, with kind of, I want to approach this very delicately with some <laughs> of like the, the sexual assault side of stuff, mm -hmm. because I think so often it again is either downplayed or well, you're married, so, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. like that side of it. But even outside of a marriage, like I think too often people confuse regret with assault, you know, like, mm -hmm. and they assume that, oh, you just regret what you did. So mm -hmm. you're claiming assault. And I, I guess let's talk a little bit about how, A, 
unhelpful that is, uh, but like <laughs> how, how invalidating is it and how detrimental to getting help and your story out? One of the things that I really want people to know about my experience with sexual assault, especially as a woman who was married to her abuser, is that being married, and I'm sorry if I get emotional, I don't get to talk about this enough, but I feel like it's very important. Being married is not consent. That is not automatic consent. I can't tell you how many times I heard, you have to because you're my wife. You owe me because you're my wife. Everybody at work is getting this. Why am I not? or making me feel like I couldn't say no. Because if I said no, it would be a three-day berating about how I was a terrible wife and a terrible woman and uh, a prude and a tease. Even like after, you know, I have two children, like right after I had my children, when I'm not sleeping, my body has just gone through hell and I am not being of service to my husband and how that made me not worthy of anything or being made to feel guilty because I was on my period. Like all of these things are not okay. And it, it, it is not okay to just assume that somebody belongs to you when you put a ring on their finger that is one of like the basis of so much of the abuse that I went through all stemmed from that from someone else taking ownership of my body and making it theirs and then making it impossible for me to say no because they thought they were owed it so I was never allowed to say no unless I wanted to go have a four-day, five-day, six-day argument. Um, and I think people don't, they don't think about how sexual assault, we need to call it that because that's what it is. Sexual assault and sexual abuse happens in marriages um, because there is just the assumption like, well, you're married, like you gotta fuck. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. like that's how it is, but that's not how it is. That's not. No, and and I think you know, I'm not married, haven't been married, so my perspective on it isn't as firsthand. But like, even just relationship, just because you are dating someone and exclusively dating Mm -hmm. someone, you know, it it doesn't mean that you are owed anything. Nobody in this world is. If you've just had sex once, that doesn't mean that you're owed it again. (laughs) yeah yeah no no nobody's ever nobody in this world right that's exactly what I was getting ready to say nobody in this world is ever owed especially on the sex side but you're not owed anything in life Mm -hmm. and so often I think you're right that the assumption from one party or the other because obviously it can go both ways Mm -hmm. one direction is obviously more frequent but you know the the assumption is like you said well you're my, you're my wife so yes that's going to happen like okay but i'm still i always go back to this because it's my belief system 
cool. I'm still a human being. So yeah. no, you know, um, heart support actually posted a, uh, picture earlier today, um, that no is a complete sentence. Don't be mm -hmm. afraid to use it, you know? And I think that's something people need to realize too, is like, you don't have to give an explanation why you don't want to either. No is no. And that is the mm -hmm. whole sentence. Yeah. It's, um, the flip side of that is that sometimes it, it has to be said, but sometimes it's also unsafe to be said. Yeah. And I think that's where I found myself a lot was it was unsafe to be, to say no. So then you right. get into like coercion and, you know, feeling like you don't have a choice, um, which is also sexual assault. Yeah. Just so you yeah. know, not so you know, but right. just so, the general so that everyone knows. knows. I know what you, you mean. If <laughs> you are not agreeing to it, cheerfully or or if you if it is not something that you want to do and you are doing it anyway that is that's yeah. a no yeah absolutely and especially with sexual acts but honestly with anything if anything, you are yeah. having to do anything and in your heart you do not want to do that thing then you're being assaulted in some fashion you're also breaking your own boundary at that point yeah. And that's something I definitely want to talk about um, semi-briefly, but we both have talked about putting up our walls and having yeah. our boundaries. And and I I guess for people that aren't familiar with it, because it's a kind of uncomfortable thing when you're first setting those, what are mm -hmm. some practices that you found when you're setting a boundary with someone, whether it's in a relationship or a friendship or whatever, what are some some tools that you can give people that this is a safe way to set a boundary or a, a safe way to explain the boundary? Well, I would like to say that I'm an expert at it, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, I just know that there are, there are things just like going into the woods, like people around me know that that is, I've made it known that that's like that's my me time right night times are generally my me time because i nighttime is very hard for me uh that's usually when my brain does the the very dark slide um so i i generally try to keep quiet and peace my house i i like my house a particular way i need order and cleanliness so i feel like i'm in control so i i need to also be in control of who comes in and who comes out of it um there's this <laughs> I feel like I'm such a nerd because I've just discovered it but I'm sure the rest of the world that has an iPhone has discovered it but there is a setting a focus setting that you can put on your phone that's personal where people can text you and call you and it'll tell them that it's been delivered quietly so I've been using that a lot lately because it means that they're seeing some sort of flag that the message has been received but I am not in a place to to answer it um, I am, like I said, at the start of our conversation, I'm, I'm in a heavy time right now. So I can only take in what's absolutely necessary and nothing else because I'm, I'm struggling. So I flip that thing on. And that means if I'm in a moment where I can handle having a text conversation, I will answer it. If not, the boundary has been set because people can see, oh, well, you know, she's 
she'll get to it when she can. So I wish that I had like magic advice of like, this is how you go to somebody's face and you say, this is what I need. And and I need you to respect that. But I am bad at that. (laughs) I'm not good at that. (laughs) I I think a lot of people are because face to face, society is really fucked up right now anyway, because of coming out of COVID and social media and everything anyway. But like face to face, it's much harder to set those firm boundaries with someone because they're there to respond immediately. A text message, a, even a phone call, I can hang up at any point and be done with this conversation, you know, um, but face to, I won't, (laughs) but you know, face to face it, I guess you could theoretically just turn and walk away from someone and be done with the conversation, but like, it's much harder to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and nobody likes feeling uncomfortable. And I think that's an uncomfortable conversation to have where you're saying, well, look, you know, at these points in my life, while you're a priority, you can't be the top priority for me mm-hmm. at this moment, you know, and it's hard for a lot of people to hear. Um, and I think, unfortunately, too often people hear it and then assume, oh, she hates me. We're not friends anymore. She's mad yeah. at me, whatever. Like, no, I just have shit I need to get through. Yeah. And I'm doing this so that we can remain friends. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. And and that's the thing is like, if, if we wanted to, like you and I sound very similar in our, when we're in a dark place type of situations, if we wanted to, sure, I can unload on you when I'm in my dark place. I can almost guarantee you're not going to stick around when we're done having that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Going to get real dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting thing too, when obviously people have the best intentions, you know, I'm there mm-hmm. for you if you need anything or whatever. But then when you actually go to that person and say, Hey, I'm having a shit day or whatever. It's incredible. The number of people that don't immediately respond with, okay, what can I do? Or, you know, because I think too often people assume coming from someone with mental health problems like you and I, um, I think they assume that we look for them to fix it. And that's not what we're asking Mm -hmm. for. We're asking you to support us. And that's much different than fixing a problem. Yeah. Know where I'm at. I just need you to know where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation last year in season one with an artist named Mel Taven. Um, She's a Korean American adoptee. And she actually, we talked a lot about the power of words and we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, She's actually switched it from mental illness to mental injury. And her reasoning for that is, an illness requires a doctor and medication and the average person can't fix it. But an injury, if you saw your neighbor with a broken arm, you would go help them carry groceries. So I have a mental injury. Okay, well, what kind of support can I give you to take a little bit of that load off? And that's all we're asking for. You know, obviously medication is necessary for certain people in certain instances, but I think by changing the terminology, it helps the average person look at it and go, well, maybe, maybe I can do something. Something is better than nothing. Even if it's being the phone call at 2am 
and knowing that they're safe. That's all some people need. Yeah. And sometimes I just need to say or ask somebody close to me. I think I've said it to Nathan a few times, like, am I okay? And I just need somebody to tell me like, yes, like I need to know, okay, I'm not, not insane. Like I'm just having a hard time. Am I okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes like, sometimes I'll need to tell people I'm having a hard time because I also want them to know that however I am acting is not a them thing. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm just fucking struggling. And I need you to know that so that you know how to work around me or how to, you, it, it'll, it'll alleviate something for both of us. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, with that, it's one of those things where if I don't tell you that I'm going through something, again, it falls back to you assuming that I hate you or whatever. Yeah. And that's detrimental versus if I have told you, hey, I'm in one of my lows, like it is what it is, we'll figure it out, whatever. But then I accidentally unload on you or I'm short with you. You can take that step back and go, yeah. okay, that's yeah. not directed at me. Like yeah, they need space or I yeah. need to yeah. double check on something. Yeah. Um, and I think that's super powerful too, that yes. when... <laughs> putting some onus back on the support circle to take that step back and look at it and go, are they actually upset with me or is there something that I can help with? Yeah. Or she seems angry, but that's the anxiety. That's, that's right. me angry at the anxiety or <laughs> he's cooking and has dropped and broken three plates well because when i am anxious my hands tremble <laughs> like yeah. okay i'm not like just know where i'm at it'll help me and you if, if i can just tell you i'm struggling and if somebody comes to you and says i'm struggling you don't have to fix that you just have to know it like i think people naturally want to ask what can i do and my answer is always gonna be like i don't know because i don't i don't know what you can do and i don't necessarily need you to do anything i just need you to know Right. I just need you to know, be my wingman. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that, that's exactly how I am. I've got a friend that her and I talk every day and very similarly, like I'll tell her like, Hey, I'm just in a bad mood or, you know, I'm, I'm in a low. Well, what can I do? I don't know. And like, originally when we were first becoming friends and whatnot, it was, you just always say that and, and whatever. And then I explain like, because I truly don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't. This isn't <laughs> if me. I knew I would this, do it. Yeah. Like, that would be better. <laughs> right. I'm not being an asshole. Just be like, I don't know. So that you shut up. I'm saying, I don't know because I don't fucking know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a, not a very simple thing to answer. <laughs> no. Uh, I think for this episode, this is kind of where I want to tie off. Um, also, I've got another interview in 20 minutes, but um, so as we wrap up this episode, and I think we're probably going to talk about doing some more because I think we both have touched on a few areas that we could get a little more involved, like with the mm -hmm. grief and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the question that I'm, I'm starting to end these conversations with um, <laughs> is kind of a twofold question. And that is the cliche side of it is 
what would you tell your younger self? Obviously, we we all have heard that, like, you know, if what would you go back in time and tell yourself? Uh, but then the flip side of it, I think, is the part that is more impactful to the listener, which is who did you who did you need when you were younger? Like, what was that person like that you could have used when you were younger? Oh, those seem very easy, but they're not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think one of the things that I would tell my younger self is that to not put so much pressure on myself because I'm going to get a lot of pressure from everywhere else. Um, and, and to try to try to be the person that's kindest to yourself or you don't like you don't have to love yourself little Becky like that I know that that can be hard but just don't don't be another enemy to yourself um yeah that's I'm like in my head I'm I'm picturing like you know when I was 12 like right before my dad died before like the world kind of broke open for me like that that's what I would want almost to prepare her for like there's going to be a lot of unkind people don't don't be unkind to yourself so then the, the second part of that with the, who did you need when you were younger, like, or in your, in your dark times, like who's, what does that person look like? I needed what I'm trying to be now, which is somebody who is a woman on a stage who doesn't look like a pop star who's super awkward and has a lot of rough ideas and struggles on the roller coaster of, 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 of her mind. Like I needed somebody to be like, Oh, I don't have to be this. I can be this and still do something cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. And I think that's a great answer. Cause that's, that's similar to me with, you know, I think the person that I wish I would have had when I was growing up is someone like me that is able to tell a story and be open and honest about that story so that I can see, okay, it's, it's all right. That shit sucks. Yeah. That's, that's life, unfortunately, but it doesn't have to end there. You know, like, um, one of the big things I, I try to tell people is, you know, your life is a story. And every book you've ever read, you're a book nerd, so you'll appreciate this. Every <laughs> book you've ever read, there's chapters of struggle. There's chapters mm -hmm. of terrible things happening. But on almost every book, Game of Thrones excluded, every book <laughs> doesn't end that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I think to, to do the full wrap up, where can people find you? I'll obviously link socials if you would like, um, but where can people find you? What can they expect musically and things like that? Tying it back into Nathan and, and you, if you've got fun stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, people can find out what the band um, is doing next on our socials, which Josh will link for you. Um, I personally have an Instagram page that is open for anybody to follow as well. Um, I'm not a big Facebook person. Um, 
the band, we are going to have a pretty amazing second half of the year, I think. Um, Nathan is a maniac and has been writing nonstop. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a next album out for you guys soon. Um, but other than that, we're just trying to bring this little wonky ministry on the road and, and, and deliver the live show to as many people as possible, because I feel like that is where the most symbiotic healing comes from. And it's just important to us all to, to be out there hugging faces. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses, um, the you, you say a ministry, but that's really what it feels like, not in the churchy sense, but in this this right. ministry of people that all have broken pasts and mm -hmm. these stories. And I think the thing that I really loved about the show in Indy, and I know Nathan does it on every show, but like getting down on the floor level, mm -hmm. talking to people in between songs and mm -hmm. like really telling stories, like the amount of connection that you can get with you guys is absolutely insane. And it was what, you know, two hours that we were in that club together. Like, yeah, but then we came out We're you and I follow each other on Instagram. Now we've had <laughs> yeah. this conversation now, like, you know, yeah. it, it's such a powerful little movement that's happening. And I think it starts kind of like punk rock. It starts in the underground, you yeah. know, and yep. it grows and grows to where people go, oh shit, this is something I need to look at. Some of my favorite friends right now are people that came to see us live and I got off the stage to hug because they were sobbing through the set. Yeah. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. <laughs> and that's all we need to say. Uh, I, I appreciate it, Becky. Like I said, I'm sure we'll be in touch. We'll do some, yeah. some more episodes and things like that. Um, obviously, you know, you can reach out to me anytime. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll get this going. Your episode goes live on. Pull up the calendar here on uh, May the sixteenth. So about a month from us talking, but um, yeah, I'm really excited for it, and I'm stoked to see what Nathan has in store because yeah. he hasn't disappointed so far. <laughs> oh, good. Well, don't, don't put him on a pedestal, then you know what happens. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I would love to, to talk again anytime. Awesome. Awesome. We'll talk soon then. Okay. All right. Get to your next right. one. All Bye. Right. Thanks. Bye. And that was my conversation with Becky Fontaine. Um, I hate calling her just a backing vocals for Nathan Gray and the Iron, Ro Iron Roses because she's so much more than that, you know, and while that may be where a lot of people know her from, um, and it's a very important part of her getting her stories out there and, you know, contributing to Nathan getting his stories out there and making people see, be seen and feel like they are a part of something, I don't think that's entirely her how do I want to put uh, her purpose? You know, I think that she's destined to change lives and hopefully this conversation does just that, you know, hopefully it touches some of you or, you know, gets in the right ears of, of people that can relate to things and go, you know what, me too. And 
this is what I need to do. Um, huge, again, just big thank you to Becky. Um, I really appreciate the honesty, the openness, um, and really just taking the time, you know, it's when we had this conversation, um, her and I both were kind of not at a hundred percent for ourselves, um, from a mental state. And, you know, after this conversation, um, literally the next day, Becky told me she kind of had this emotional hangover, which I think is a very real thing because I've experienced it as well of, you know, it, it's, very cathartic and freeing to get these stories out there and and being vulnerable but at the same time for a lot of us that are very empathetic people or that you know are in a constant state of recovery with our mental health um it can also be very draining and and you know it's a very important thing that I want you guys to know that if someone's opening up to you, no matter what they're opening up to you about, know that it takes a lot of courage. Know that um, they're putting things out there that are also taking it a toll on them internally. Um, and, you know, obviously we hope that everybody is able to do that and get better and find the help that they need and so many things. But, um, you know, I, I just can't say enough awesome things about Becky and, and the stories that she's been able to, to share with us. So uh, be sure that you go follow her and, and Nathan um, and the music that they're creating because there's so much coming out, especially out of the Nathan Gray and the five sorry, Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses. Um, and there's so much coming out of that camp that is so empowering, and I want you guys to be a part of it. Um, it's huge. It's fun. It's just freeing and revitalizing. Um, and that's really everything I've got for you guys this week. Uh, be sure that you follow us on social media at you make the scene on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, those are probably the two best places to interact. Uh, but we also have started started a TikTok. Um, Josh underscore YMTS on TikTok, where I will be taking video clips from different episodes of this podcast and the You Make the Scene podcast, and putting that out there in kind of the short soundbite. A um, little more digestible format, um, you know, and let us know who you want us to try to have on the show. You know, there's a certain level of um, desire, I guess, to make sure that the people that we have on the show that you're hearing stories from are the people that you can relate to and that are going to impact you. Um, I think it's important to try to represent as many people in the mental health spectrum as we possibly can. And I think we've done a pretty good job of it so far, but I definitely want to keep that going. So 
let me know who you'd like to see on the show. Um, huge shout out again to Becky for taking the time to do this. Uh, I think there will be more conversations with her in the future. Um, maybe more specifically around certain topics if if that's what you guys want, if that's what she wants, you know, things like that. So, uh, yeah, we'll just do the, the standard outro now. And that's, I just want to remind you guys to take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene. <laughs>